following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. You would open up your Bibles to the fifth book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, where your Bible reading plan fell off, and Deuteronomy. <laughs> numbers, is, it'll get you. It creeps up on you. It's like that relative that came at the holidays that you didn't expect. There he is. There he is. It's a good one. Still a good one. Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. And if this is your first Sunday and you're thinking, I missed the first six, that's okay. You can go to communitygospelchurch.com and you can click on the messages section and all of the sermons are there. And um, if you're thinking, I'm not going to know what's going on, don't worry about it. We'll get you caught up um, for sure. Raise your hand if you were a strong-willed child. All my strong-willed child... Children here, childs, childs, whatever the case is. All right, those of you who put your hands down, the rest of you raise your hand. You're also strong-willed children. If I were to ask your parents, they would say, yes, they were strong-willed children. Bethany and I are both strong-willed, which causes our marriage to be interesting to say the least. And we are raising two very strong-willed children. And parents who are in our boat or were in our boat, you know how hard it is when your child's strong will causes them to fail. You probably have examples of that. I have a journal full of them. My mom has burned that journal. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, we look at these, these kids who have these failures because of their strong will. Some of them are small. For example, you have a child and they want to tie their shoe on their own and they can't do it. So they say, I could do it, I could do it, I could do it. And you're like, okay, let's see how that works out. And they can't do it. And they ask for your help or they go to school without their shoes tied. Then you have your strong-willed kids who have more serious injuries. I remember when I was a kid, I thought I could fly. And so I jumped off of our dresser and learned real fast, I, I can't fly. My sister pointed it out to me. She said, I told you you couldn't fly. And I said, why'd you tell me that I could fly? She says, because you're dumb and you'll do anything. <laughs> then my mom and dad came in and wondered why I was going to cause harm to my sister. It's interesting. We look at it, it's not just kids, though. You know, it's easy to point our finger at the littles and say, oh, they're all strong-willed. But adults are strong-willed as well. Amen? Some of us are pretty hard in our strong wills say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And when we look at some of these strong-willed adults, we realize that we all have a problem as sinful human beings. Because we think that we can do everything on our own. We look at God's Word constantly and what it says, and it gives us specific commands and the way we're to conduct our life. And we look back at God and we say, God, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it on my own. 
And God looks at us, or maybe just me, and he says, how's that working out for you? But even in our rebellious actions, God, thankfully, is relentless about grace. And for those of you who are raising strong-willed children, remember grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Just as you've received grace, so we give grace. And we realize in God's grace, he helps us in our stubbornness. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy 7 is all about today. If you want a good example of a group of people who are strong-willed, it's the Israelites in the Old Testament text. They are constantly getting God's commands, looking back at God, saying, I could do it by myself. And God's like, you you can't. You need to know, first of all, that I am with you, but also that I can help you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning as you're gathered here at Community Gospel Church. That, yeah, you have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. You have a relationship with God. God is with you. You carry him as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But God can also help you and wants to help you, just like it was for the Israelites. Now, we've been talking about our leader. His name is Moses, and he has talked to the Israelites about these commandments from God. He's narrowed them down to ten, and then he's narrowed that down to one, that you should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love the neighbor as yourself. And now he's going to say... Listen, Israel, you're about to face a fight of your life to overtake this land that God has given to you. That's the promised land, the land of Canaan. And you need to trust the Lord as you're about to go into this land. It's not a time for you to be strong-willed. And we look at this Old Testament text with New Testament eyes because we have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And we realize that we are destined for the heavenly Canaan. That's eternity with God. And we realize now is not the time for the church to be hard-hearted. Now is the time for the church to say, God, we need you. We need your help because there's all these things that are going on in our world. There's all these problems, all these cultural things that are happening and transpiring. And God says, it's not your opinion that you put into those matters that are populating our world. It's my word. So preach and teach my word. Trust my word. Trust the Lord. That's exactly what Moses says. Trust the Lord. He's the faithful God. He's always been faithful He always will be faithful, and you can trust the Lord. So today, as we look at Deuteronomy 7, we're going to unpack why we can trust the Lord, our faithful God. Verse 1 through 11. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 11, we trust the Lord, our faithful God, first and foremost, because he wants our best. I can hear my old man screaming that in my ear. I don't do this because I hate you. I do this because I, okay. <laughs> God wants our best. Really, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the first 11 verses is a call to destroy sin. Verse 1. In verse 1 and 2, there are seven nations listed. In the first two verses of Deuteronomy chapter 7, they speak of seven nations that are currently populating this land of Canaan. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 19 through 21. All of these people, if you look at the text, it says they are more numerous and mightier than you. How's how's that for encouragement from your leader? Hey, church, 
I'm glad you're here this morning. The people who populate outside of these walls, they're stronger and they're mightier than you. Are you encouraged? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Have fun. That's exactly what's transpiring here. Israel, though, was to simply trust God that he would, look at the verse, give them over and devote them to complete destruction. It says, show no mercy in verse 2. You destroy the sinful Canaanites and their sinful acts, and you will have victory. Now, here we see a model for the complete destruction of sins for the Old Testament Israelites, for you and I today. If there was a time for us to be hearers of the word, it is now. Is there a time for us to be doers of the word? This is a good time to as well. First thing in the second part of verse 2. You make no covenants with sinners. Israel wasn't to dwell in the, Isler, in the enemy's houses or cities or to enjoy any of their estates. There was to be no peace covenants. You do not make allies or friends with sin. Church, we do not make allies or friends with sin. You make no covenants with sin. These people are God's enemies until Israel had eliminated them. There are things that are transpiring in your world right now. They are God's enemies. We make no covenants with any thing that is sin. Then he goes into verse 3. As you go into their land and you start to overtake it, you will look at their cities, you will look at their houses, you will look at their estates, you will lust after those things. Don't do that. Repent of that. And you will see, I think Moses is talking to young men here, women, do not, number two, marry them. Do not marry them. This speaks to the marriage of an unbelieving Canaanite. She might look good on the surface, but she's not good under the skin. And so this would have been a disaster for an Israelite's faith. Since the Canaanites were being judged for their wickedness, if the Israelites joined them in wickedness, they would also join them in judgment. And so everything, even the Canaanites' idols might provoke even the slightest curiosity about false worship, which God hated and wanted destroyed. Now, in our day, we speak to the young people about this. We say, find a woman who loves the Lord. Find a man who loves the Lord. For those of you who have really little children, we have already started before our kids were born to pray for their spouse. And it's a little dis discouraging because sometimes I see the way my kids look at kids in our church and I think anybody but that person. <laughs> I, know, I know their parents. And we would say, we, would, we want you to find a godly spouse. And so it is important that we start praying for our students who have these tendencies, godly spouses. And then for you who are a little older, you marry somebody who is a believer. You do not marry somebody who's not a believer. Now, if we're here and we're like, I, I, didn't, I, don't, I, I didn't marry a believer. What do I do? Then you cling to the truth in the New Testament that says you love them like Jesus and hope to win them to Christ and let him do the heavy lifting there. Because it's possible if the Apostle Paul can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your unbelieving spouse can come to know Jesus. Never give up on them. God didn't give up on you. Now, for us, we look at that and we say, well, that's marriage. 
But some of us are married to other things like our work, like our house. And some of these things, God says, are not good. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a church that's saturated with sin, the church of Corinth. And he says in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Don't you know that just a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? And so really, the command not to marry ties into the third model of complete destruction of sin when he says, you, verse 5, destroy all idols. I need you to get rid of all idols. Now, this is interesting. If you look at verse 5, it says, you shall not deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces the pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. What is asherim? Asherim was really Asherah poles. There were these wooden poles in honor of the goddess Asherah, the consult of Baal, who God hated. God's biggest enemy is not Satan. God's biggest enemy is an idol. Now, the only way that I can think about this in modern terms is the statue in Philadelphia of Rocky Balboa. You realize there's a statue in Philadelphia of Rocky Balboa, right? He is a fictional character. He's never once walked the face of this earth. He doesn't exist. And there is a statue of him in Philadelphia that people, ready for this, worship. Because they look at him and they say, he provides inspiration. He provides me all of these things. I'm like, he is fake. He's not a real person. Young people flock to comic books and they say, I love Spider-Man and Superman and all these other things. They are made up people who we worship. And we look at this, and God says, that's not good. And we wonder, why does he say that's not good? Look at verse 6. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, you are a holy chosen People, you are a royal priesthood set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The command in the Old Testament here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, is the same commandment that we have in 1 Peter in the New Testament. It's almost as if Peter took the words from Deuteronomy. Imagine that. Now, if you would circle that word chosen, that means to be chosen for a specific task or a vocation. God selected Israel as a means of sanctifying the earth. Pastor John prayed for the missionaries who are in Russia and who are in Israel, and we are so thankful for them. But you too are a missionary wherever you are located. You are chosen for a specific task or vocation to share the gospel with those people who are entrusted to your care and to encourage the church. Here in Deuteronomy, it says, you are holy. You are set apart for God's special use. You are his treasured possession. Now, if you're an Israelite, you realize that for 400 years, the Canaanites refused to repent, and they ran the risk of endangering Israel's devotion to the Lord. So due to their failure to repent, they had to be eliminated, all of them, because they were corrupt. Now, God's election of Israel wasn't so that they'd become prideful. You do not go to your place of work 
tomorrow, whether that's the home or whether that's in the office or wherever that case is, and you don't look at people and say, no, 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 boo-boo, look at me. I'm better than you because I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what some of the Israelites did. They became prideful. But God says, no, 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 you are not elected to become prideful. You're elected to respond in worship. Because I have your best in mind. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he has our best in mind. Now, we look at Israel and we say, why would God love Israel? Well, that's a mystery. Why would God love us? This isn't motivated by any goodness in the nation. You know, some people come to know Jesus and they're like, it's about time, Jesus, that you came to me. (laughs) That's not how this works. He's like, I'm keeping my promises way back in Genesis 17. The ones I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. God has been, always will be, faithful to his word. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. God's promise and his oath are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled like Israelites into his refuge through faith and trust in Christ, we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. You do not walk into your workplace, whether that's the home or actual office, timid for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You walk with confidence. There's a very thin line between confidence and pride. Be careful. And look at verse 9. It says, you do this because the Lord alone is God. He controls history. He raises up nations. He brings them down. He is faithful. He keeps, verse 9, his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. If you underline the word thousand generations in verse 9, it means endlessly or forever. It means that God's plan for our best does not include our partnership with darkness. It means that God's plan for our life does not include our partnership with darkness. Stop dancing with the devil. Stop playing with fire. Why? Same command to us today, to the church of Corinth, in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. How can you, somebody who is righteous, be a partner with somebody who is wickedness? How can you as light live with darkness? Now, this is extremely convicting to us because we start to think about it with people, but let's start to think about it in practice with what we put in our eyes and our ears. I'm blown away that people can sit all weekend long and binge watch a TV show. What a waste of your life. I'm blown away that people would put in this wickedness and think that righteousness would come out of their hands and feet. How can you live in light with darkness? It's impossible to do. Go to your house, turn off all your lights, break out a flashlight, turn it on and say to yourself, surely the darkness will still last if I cast this light in this room. It doesn't work that way. Once that light turns on, darkness leaves. Once you trust Christ, darkness leaves. And so you flee from that darkness just as the Israelites fled from slavery into the promised land. And here's the deal. It's hard. It takes work. It takes discipline. Imagine that. It takes you saying no to some things. Be careful, verse 11, to follow his commands, believing that his boundaries 
for your life are best for you. But God, I love that Netflix episode. God, I love this person at your work. No, you don't. You love the thought of that. Many of us simply don't want to destroy sins which keep us from God's promised land of blessing and peace. We want to weaken them. We want to have control over them. But we don't want to destroy them. This is a lie the church has to stop believing. You cannot have any partnership with darkness and be righteous. It doesn't work that way. You can be a child of God, don't get me wrong. But in regards to the filling of the Holy Spirit and able to accomplish more than anything you could ask or imagine, if you're dancing with that devil, it doesn't work that way. God wants your best. He wants your best because he wants you to trust him. Now, watch this. When God gives you his best, he starts to bless. Verse 12. There is a reward for obedience. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have more money. I'm not saying you're going to be more popular. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying there's a reward for obedience. And oftentimes that is just the applause of God. Verse 12. If Israel was obedient to the Lord, they would start to experience God's covenantial love. God would abandon, verse 12, the covenant and steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. What does that mean? That means that God constantly reminds Israel of how his previous promises gave way to future blessings. For those of you that are in our Bible reading plan, good for you. Keep it up. Go past numbers. It's, it's, it's good, I promise. You're doing great, okay? When you look at that Bible reading plan, you start to go cover to cover. Start to highlight all the promises of God and how they gave way to future blessings. Now, in the Old Testament, it's often materialistic, like children, luscious fields, food, flocks, all that other stuff. If you look at uh, verse 15, we realize the Israelites could also count on freedom from horrible diseases that were common in Egypt. The blessing was all dependent upon obedience. Verse 16, it says, consuming all the people that the Lord will give over. In other words, what he's saying here is, if Israel would destroy the people within the borders of Canaan, there would be blessing that would come from that. But if they didn't, they would continue to be ensnared by them and their gods. So Moses, watch this. He wants Israel to be confident in their relationship with the living God. Same is true for us today. God wants you to be confident in your relationship with Christ. So here's some wise counsel that encourages confidence. Verse 17. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You might have to tell yourself this a million times. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you need to remember what God has done. Verse 17 specifically says, If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispose of them? See, that's looking at the problem instead of looking at the solution. Moses knew the the status of the Israelites. He remembered 40 years earlier, for those of you that know your Bibles, the Analekites made chapter 1 of verse of Deuteronomy, verse 26, their hearts melt. The Israelites weren't supposed to concentrate on their enemy's strength, but solely focus on God's greatness. Church, can we, can we get on board with that? What's the big enemy pushing right now? What's the big thing in your life that's the problem? 
The Israelites weren't supposed to concentrate on the enemy's strength, but solely focus on the greatness of God. Remember, verse 18 and 19, chapter 7, Israelites saw Pharaoh defeated by God's miraculous signs and wonders. Remember those ten plagues? These were performed by God's strength, his mighty hand, outstretched arm. Israel could expect to see history repeated in the destruction of the Canaanites. Look at verse 19. It says, the Lord, your God, will do the same. A recollection of God's past faithfulness gives you hope for your current struggle. If God was faithful back then, God will be faithful now. If God has been faithful in helping you In any sort of victory, God will continue to be faithful in your current struggle. How do we know that? Verse 20, second thing, that God is working in your midst. Now, this is so good. This is so good. Israel is confident that God would cause Israel's enemies to run in battle. He's going to work in the background. Now, look at verse 22, little by little. Underline that a hundred times. Uh, that's, that's too many. Uh, two times. Why? As Israel is obedient, God would work behind the scenes, and all the enemies of the living God should be afraid of opposing God's people. Furthermore, God alone would throw Israel, look at verse 23, their enemies into great confusion. A divinely inspired panic would overwhelm the Canaanites and render them helpless, verse 24. And all of this would happen according to God's well-conceived plan. Verse 21, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is a great and awesome God. Church, let's start getting behind this truth. That the Lord our God is in our midst. He is an awesome God. He will throw our enemies into great confusion. You just need to work little by little. The land is going to be taken away little by little. It's not going to be depopulated too quickly. It's not going to be overrun by wild animals. God's going to go before Israel. He's going to fight for them, but he wouldn't drive out all the enemies at one time. You're asking God to do something. He's saying, I work little by little. God knows what's best for them. Israel wants all the land cleared out. They want the easy road, right? They want everything taken care of. God, you just pave the way, build our cities, and then we'll just walk in and we'll populate these places. And let me tell you something, church. This is frustrating that God works this way, that God works little by little. But this is how God works in our life. He clears things away little by little. Even though you don't prefer it, he still works little by little. God wants Israel to grow spiritually in the process of taking the promised land. He's going to do that little by little. God wants you to grow in the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. He's going to do that little by little. I know you'd love to wake up tomorrow and be like, I don't struggle with sin anymore. And if you don't struggle with sin anymore tomorrow, you're dead. Congratulations. We got to look in the mirror and say, God's working on me little by little. I'm working on obedience little by little. Doing it all at once might seem easier and better to us, but maybe not to God. Why am I in this trial? Why am I in this situation? Why am I in this problem? Why isn't God clearing out the land for me? God, don't you love me? He says, I love you so much that we're going to do this little by little. 
And it'll have consequences. It's this. God cares that we grow. And so he grows us just a little by little. Verse 25. We need to constantly reiterate that the Israelites could be assured of this glorious victory if they only had faith to start the battle. Brothers and sisters in Christ, some of you are not being victorious in your struggle with sin because you are not embracing the battle. You're just sitting back and asking God to do all the heavy lifting. You're like a college student who prays for a spouse and does not ever leave his dorm room. God, just bring me a woman. Women at Christian colleges are not allowed in the dorms, my friend. You got to open the door and do the work, right? You got to win her heart. Israelites would find themselves trapped by idolatry if they didn't let God work little by little. They'd become objects of God's holy war if they didn't let him work little by little. If they didn't just start the process, the Canaanites' idols were detestable to God, and so it is with the world today. The thing that you're clinging on to, church, I know it's hard, but God hates it. The sin that's manifesting in your life, God hates it. God wants you to destroy it, and you keep praying about it, and you keep looking at God, and you keep saying, God, get rid of this thing in my life, and he says, you first. And when you get rid of that, I'll work on you little by little. What abominable thing have you brought into your house that is detestable to the Lord? Where are you open to destruction because you refuse to detest that which should be devoted to destruction? Church, I'm in this fight with you. I'm not separate from this. I'm not not sitting up here saying I'm holier than that. I got my own struggles just like you got your struggles. And when we sing on Sunday morning, I think to myself, how, God, could you give me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance? He says, because I love you. I want your best for you. I want to bless you. But you got to take steps of obedience and faith. You got to do it. Because that's where true life is found. Remember, the blessing of God often fails to fall on the righteous because the righteous love that which is detestable to God. Once upon a time, there was a young woman named Sarah. She lived in the land of Canaan. She was a faithful servant to the Lord, and she loved to study the words of God written in the book of Deuteronomy. One day... Sarah was reading, she came across a passage that spoke of God's promises to bless those who were obedient to him and to curse those who worship false gods. Sarah was deeply moved by the words and she decided to share those words with her community. She gathered the people together in the community. She told them about the blessings that God promised to those who followed his commands She warned people about the dangers of idolatry and false worship, and yet they continued to do what they wanted to do. Despite Sarah's efforts, many of the people in the community continued worshiping false gods. They laughed at Sarah. They mocked her. They didn't believe that the Lord was the only true God that would bless those who followed him. Sarah found herself absolutely devastated and heartbroken, but she didn't give up. She continues to study God's word. She continues to pray for her people. And one day, a great disaster struck the community. 
A powerful army marched into the land and it destroyed everything in its path. The people were terrified. They cried out to their false gods for help, but they received no answer. In the moment of greatest need, Sarah remembers the words in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And so she prayed to the Lord for help. To the surprise of everyone, the Lord answers Sarah's prayer, yes. He sends an angel to protect the community. The army was defeated. The people were amazed at the power of the Lord. They realized that Sarah was right. They repented of their false worship and turned to the Lord with all of their hearts. If only that would have happened. But the story of Sarah reminds us of those of us today who are in the place that we're in. Knowing full well that there's another army coming. That our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will come on the clouds again. And that there is an importance to following God's commands and worshiping Him alone. It shows us the power and the faithfulness of the Lord to those who believe in Him. Church, we got to be faithful servants of the Lord. We have to honor Him in all that He wants us to do. He wants our best. He wants us to be obedient. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe. Because of your faithfulness and your declaration of faith, people in your path will repent of their false worship and they'll turn to the Lord with all of their hearts. And we won't see the destruction. You've got to remain steadfast. God wants to bless you. He wants to work in your life. But he wants to take steps, you to take steps of obedience and faith to him, allowing him and his discipline to enter into your life, his borders to enter in, for that's where life is found. Then, then we can claim that, yep, that's where the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at Deuteronomy, we know that God's people were on this 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 edge of taking over this promised land. And they found themselves a little afraid. And so here we are as your church, and we know that there's a heavenly Canaan, like right, right on the border. It's, it's right there. And instead of us being excited about that, we get a little afraid. We're, we're a little nervous. We're a little, a little cautious we don't know the outcomes like you know the outcomes. And so you come like, like the faithful God that you are. And you say, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves for the day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. You're, you're holy and you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You tell us all these truths in the Bible. And we forget them so fast. But you want us to prepare for that. If you're here this morning, the first way that we prepare for the second coming of Christ is by confessing with our mouth that we're sinners and believing in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you haven't done that this morning, maybe you've sat in church your whole life and never truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do that today, you do that right now. You pray to the Lord, you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ came, that he died. He rose again, he ascended to the right hand of God. His blood covers my sins. I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today is the day of my salvation. I believe in you, Jesus. And he'll do that. He'll give another. He'll give the Holy Spirit. His spirit will dwell within you. He'll counsel you. He'll teach you. He'll convict you. He'll frustrate your plans. He'll do so many fruitful things in your life. It'll be amazing.
But God, as we're gathered here as your church, many of us believe that truth. We've trusted in Jesus Christ, but we are not doing a good job preparing ourselves for the promised land because we're too busy being populated with the things of this world. And so, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray, even with me and my family, you start to convict our hearts about what we have entertained that is not of you. I pray that you convict your church, even here today, about the things that they have entered or allowed to enter into their homes, into their relationships that are a cancer that need to be cut off. I pray, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would convict them so much that they would make steps of obedience to eliminate these things today, that they would go home and that they would push these things out. And that you would grow us little by little, that we would have these little tiny steps of faithful obedience that would produce long-term growth and fruit. God, I believe that you equip us with so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. And as we come to the table here today, as we take these elements, I pray that you really start to speak to us. Because I think we know, I think we know what needs to go and what needs to stay. And help us to realize that it is worth it. It's always worth it. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.